0: Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. You might not know, but we decided to do the book of Genesis in 2021, right at the beginning. And just the way circumstances and the way COVID was over, we felt that the theme of rebuilding was necessary. And so I delayed it till 2023. Uh, Sorry, beginning of 2022, we were going to do it. We delayed it to 2023. And then last year, we began to plan this wonderful booklet that you've got that you can work through. We sent it to the printers. And now you have it. And it's the theme and vision for the year. And we're looking at the theme of new beginnings and we're starting in Genesis. Let me repeat this quote by the late David Pawson that we looked at last week. He said, if Genesis is mistaken, the rest of the Bible is shaken. And that's absolutely true. Everything is built on this book written 3,500 years ago, the second longest book in the Bible. The history of it spans over 2,000 years. Everything of the rest of the Bible hinges On these first 11 chapters, we'll be dealing with 12, but the first 11 chapters of the Bible, and it is so important for us to get a glimpse of creation. When you get a glimpse of creation, your arrogance and your pride go because you realize who the God is that we serve. Today, men behave like little gods, but we need to recognize the God of the universe. President Theodore Roosevelt was an avid camper And he used to camp with a man called William Beeb. William Beebe was a famous naturalist. And they used to go out camping together. And in the evening, once they'd struck camp and they were sitting around the fire, you know, the, the night was wearing on, they'd lie on their backs and they'd look into the sky. And then one of them would say, is that not Andromeda's? Are we not looking at uh, the constellation of Andromedus? And then they would, they would discuss further, and they would say this, is that not Pegasus over there? And isn't Pegasus uh, bigger than our Milky Way? And isn't that our Milky Way? And then they'd remain silent for a moment. Then President Roosevelt would say to William Beebe, I think we're small enough now, let's go to bed. <laughs> when you get a glimpse of creation, you realize God made us, and he is absolutely awesome. And uh, we've looked at creation, we've looked at the old age of the earth, or the instantly aged earth. Remember I spoke about that? People say the earth was formed over millions and millions of years. No, it wasn't. When Adam was created, if you met him a day later, he would have looked 30. And if you'd seen the earth and looked at its its structure, it could have looked millions of years old, but God spoke and it was created. So we believe that is fully and totally possible and is not at odds with science. Carbon-14 dating if you've heard of that, has proved to be extremely inaccurate. There are numerous uh, sites online and articles online, and books have been written. I've been reading up on this for over 40 years in the ministry, so I don't have time to bring it out today or to argue about it. But carbon-14 is known to be spurious, only developed around 1940 by a man called Martin Kamen. And uh, just a quick quote here by Troy Pugh in the quarterly uh, stratigraphic geological survey he says here a mammoth was carbon dated and one part dated 29,500 years, the other part dated 44,000 years. He says, same animal. Dinosaur bones have been discovered to have had soft tissue, even red blood cells. Carbon 14, abundant in dinosaur fossils, reveals these specimens are mere thousands of years old, not millions. And then there's this picture of a 68-million-year-old dinosaur fossil, but it contains proteins in it that are only thousands of years old. You see, you need an old age theory in order to believe in evolution. But if you believe in creation, you don't need that. In fact, what you need to understand about the difference between evolution and creation is in this image on screen. When you believe in evolution as your foundation, the fruit of it or the balloons that come out of your life will be all sorts of beliefs that you believe to be right. And guess what the evolutionists are doing? They're not attacking our balloons. They're attacking our foundation because they know Christians believe what they believe because their foundation is creation, not evolution. When you believe you are God and you came from nothing and you just evolved from an ape, you can do as you like and make up your own rules. But when you believe you're accountable to a creator then the fruit in your life is different and the root determines the fruit. That's why the first chapters of the book of Genesis are so incredibly important and what we believe is so important. And man is a unique species. Can I just say this to you? Out of all the animals on the planet, people say we're similar to animals. No, we're not. We're the only creature that has got a speech center in our brains. And we know the difference between right and wrong. We've been made spiritual, emotional, relational and creative beings and uh, we know what's right and wrong before we read genesis here quickly did you know that even non-christians the bible says know what's right and wrong they just smother it notice in romans 2:15, 15 uh, paul writing says they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times, even defending them. It's not societal condition. It's your conscience, God created, that makes you just like him. In 2 Peter 2 and verse 12, it tells us what people are like when they stop being living in the image of God and recognizing God in their lives. He says, they're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct or impulse, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. Jude, the Lord's brother, says this. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. How many you know the church is being divided today by people with natural impulses following their desires and their instincts? The Bible says they do not have the Spirit because it's the Spirit that makes us different from animals and makes us different from natural thinkers. And so we're going to look at Genesis today. We've looked at the summary in chapter 1. Now we're going to look at the detail. And for some, this is a contradiction, but it's not. It's complementary. So let's read, and we're going to try and do 49 verses. Let's read from 1 to 15, and uh, we'll pick up Genesis 2. Are you there? Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all the His work. Just take a pause. The word rested there is the word Shabbat, from which we get the word Sabbath. The Jews rested. God was not tired, He paused. And He wants us to pause too. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The Hebrew word Kadesh means sanctified, special, because God said so, not because you are tired. Don't tell yourself, I can work, I'm not tired. You need to rest, you'll pay for it later. And he goes on to say, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, one of them is the Sabbath day. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God, here's the the first time we read the word Jehovah, when you see capitals, L-O-R-D, he made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord. God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Uh, I want you to see something here. God had not sent rain because there was no one to work. If you want God to bless your life, you work and He sends rain. He doesn't just send rain. Some people, they do nothing and then, Lord, bless me. No, no, He says, if you work, I'll send rain. And that collaboration brings about a miracle in your life. And it says you, but streams, or missed the original translation, it uh, says, came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. If you're making notes, the word formed is the Hebrew word Yasar, and it refers to the hands of the potter on the clay. Remember God formed him out of the dust? It's the exact same word that we read in the book of Jeremiah chapter 18, and God there formed him. Job 10 also talks about us being made of clay. I don't have time. And he breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's the, Listen to me, that's the miracle of human beings. We are both dust and deity. And sometimes in your home, you are deity. Other times, you are dust. But it's that combination. That's why we're so amazing and can be so dastardly. When we behave like our lower nature, we are dust. When we behave like our higher nature, we are like deity. Isn't that the truth? Verse 8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, a real place, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just make a note somewhere, Revelation 22, around verse 14 is where the tree is mentioned. Again, everything starts in a garden with a tree, then Christ hangs on a tree, and then everything ends with a tree, the tree of life in the book of Revelation, the last chapter. And it says here, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From it, they were separated into four headwaters. Now here, it describes this place. It's a real place. Uh, The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. And then it says in brackets in the Bible, the gold of that land is good. Amara- aromatic resin and onyx are also there. So God put things in the world to bless people. The Pishon River was known to be sifted in gold. You know, like they pan for gold in America. The river produced gold and they used it for jewelry. So man was not a barbarian with a bone through his nose <laughs> for millions of years. He was created intelligent to use gold and resources, aromatic resins, Man has always been a very intelligent being. Don't look at these cartoons and things and get your mind bent. We weren't made like animals. We were made in the image of God. And it goes to say here, The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, notice this, to work it and to take care of it. So work came before the fall. Work isn't a curse. Work is only a curse when you've got a bad attitude towards it. Because here's what work does. It glorifies God and serves other people. And if you go to work every day and think about how you can glorify God through what you create and how you can serve others, you won't focus on money and minimum time and going home early and doing as little as possible. That's the culture of South Africa. But we are kingdom citizens. We live by a different value system with a mandate on us to work and to take care of the earth. Now, this was an actual place. This, uh, this Garden of Eden it looks like it was in the Middle East. They can't find it anymore, but that's not, a, that's not a problem because when the great flood, which we will talk about later on in from chapter 6 onwards, when the great flood came, you can imagine the face of the earth was dramatically changed. They say the rivers were rerouted, and so we can't find that place, but we reckon it's in the Middle East. It's a a place in the Middle East. Can I just declare to you that it is not in Botswana, neither is it where the cradle of humankind is supposed to be. In fact, those places are so far away from the Garden of Eden, it's just not true. But you can go visit these places and see all these little things inscribed on the wall and have your mind bent by people's ideas, but they are all against what the Bible teaches. You say, well, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. Just read the whole of Genesis and you'll discover why we can't find it. We now see man's role in caring for the planet, not worshiping the planet, but caring for the planet and using the planet. And we are designed to work. We are not like animals. Can I remind you that what animals do from the time they wake up in the morning is to eat. The first thing an animal does when when it dawns is it eats. Then it defecates. Then it might lie down then it might get up and eat again. Some human beings live like that. They eat, they lie down, and so on and so forth. No, no, we live with purpose. We create, we develop, we improve, we serve. That's why we work. We don't just work because we're materialists. We're raping the planet and we're using up everything. No, we were created, God had it in mind, and he knew how long the planet would last. When we get to Genesis chapter 6 through to verse 8, I'll talk about all that stuff because it's extremely important because today we've got environmentalitis. We're obsessed with the fact that we're all going to die. But here the Bible tells us that God formed man and uh, gave him the task of caring for the earth. And, and you'll see here now as we read the next section that uh, God created us not just to live for pleasure but to live for a purpose. Notice what he says here, Genesis 2.16. Are you with me? And the Lord God commanded the man, notice this, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. I like that. You are free, but you must not. How many of you know? You are free, but you must not. See, because I want to be free. No, no. You can be free when you must not. And he goes on to say, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Here we see the moral limits that God established from the beginning of creation boundaries, a moral code God-imposed, not man-imposed. And the Lord says there's certain things that I want you to do, certain restrictions, and uh, if you don't obey them, they will be accompanied by consequences. If you disobey, these will be the consequences. If you obey, these will be the consequences, and you see that today. Even if you don't serve God, when you live according to your own desires, you see bad consequences. When you live according to a moral code, even if you don't serve the Lord, you see good consequences. And so here the Lord lays down, and and here's the thing. He gives us moral free choice, because you can't love without having a free will. And so God says, I'm not going to force you. I'm giving you choice, because choice shows love. It shows wisdom. But you've got to make the right choice, and these are the boundaries of society. You see, even as Christians, we've been taught that God loves us so much. In certain churches today, all they teach is God's love. All they teach is God loves you no matter what you do. No matter what you did this week, He loves you. And you can't do anything to stop God loving you. That is partly true. It's partly true. You you are loved by God, but you've also got a moral code that you have to live by. You've got to obey God. You don't get a free pass because Jesus died on the cross. You get a free pass to heaven. But as citizens of the kingdom, there's a certain code. Let me remind you in Revelation, it tells us this, Revelation 22. We talk about the tree of life and comes back to the tree of life. Notice what he says. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, pharmacia, the use of drugs. And it says the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and anyone who loves and practices falsehood. Jesus has given you a robe of righteousness. You better keep it clean. Don't just let it get dirty and think you're getting into heaven. You need to serve him and love him and worship him and obey him. The moral code is given to honor God and to create a good society. Are you with me? The way you keep your robe clean is by constant confession and humility, not by groveling. Lord, I failed. I love you. I want to serve you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me to walk with you again. Does that make sense? Genesis 2 and verse 18. We're getting somewhere. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Remember, he said his creation was good. Then he said at the end of it, it was very good. Now he says, it's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. And all the single men said, amen. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground, all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So here's a cooperation between man and God. That says So man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Not every little insect and every little creature, but there's a difference. But for Adam, no super suitable helper was found. Two things here, quickly. Man cooperates with God in creation. So if you notice, God gives us lots of room to do certain things, to name things and to be creative in his kingdom, but then there's certain parameters where we can't, where he's decided certain things. You can't give a name to something that God hasn't given it. Just take a moment to think about that. What are you calling something that God hasn't called it? In certain instances, he gives you room for that, but it's usually among the animal kingdom, not the human kingdom. Then the second thing is God didn't bring the animals for, for Adam to, like, figure out if he could mate with them. God created Adam knowing that he would create a woman. And so the Bible is poetically describing the creation of woman. It's not like Adam, Adam says, no, the, you know, the monkey's it's close, but those lips, those ears, every time I want to kiss, Lord. No, I don't think it's weird like that. Otherwise, God's not a God of all wisdom. And he created Adam as a, as a human, not to procreate. That's why bestiality is forbidden in Scripture. I'm just explaining this in case you start arguing your way out of this. No, no. Here the Lord is describing poetically how he knew man's need, and he then creates a physical, spiritual, relational, emotional, and reproductive being for him to be joined to. Let's keep reading Genesis 2 and verse 21. Are you still good? So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep, sleep anesthetic and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh then the lord god made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man what you notice that he brought her have you ever wondered why we have someone walking in a bride into a wedding ceremony where does it come from it comes from the bible because the lord brought eve he was the first one to walk into What we do, sometimes we don't think about, but it has its roots in the scriptures. And by the way, some people say, well, God took a rib out of Adam and, you know, how come men don't have one less rib? Here's the wonderful thing. A rib grows back if you lose it. It's it's tissue that regrows. So you, you can't say, it doesn't add up. It all adds up. In fact, we will discover stuff that we didn't know in years to come that will prove God right. Because science always proves God right. It's only unscientific people that prove God wrong. Can you say amen? We read you, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. (laughs) Do you know in the Hebrew, man is ish. In Hebrew, it's ishah. What he was basically saying this, me but not me. This is me but not me. There's a lot of similarities between men and women. Stop getting this, my feminine side and my male side. What are you trying to do? If, if woman was made from man, surely there is some ish, ish, me but not me. What are you confused about? It's very simple. Here it all is explained. But we have to go off on a tangent and dissect everything with unscientific, carnal minds instead of understanding what God said. And he says, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. First, nudist colony. (laughs) Now, here's my question. If you're an atheist, why don't you take your clothes off? You're so adamant about the fact that you don't believe. You don't believe in God. This is a lot of rubbish. Well, take your clothes off and see how far it gets you. It's inbred into us that after the fall, man became aware of shame. And you know what? Even churches today are trying to preach a gospel that removes all trace of shame. But shame makes us aware that we have failed. But forgiveness and cleansing makes us realize that Christ died for us. The two are not opposites. And we must not try to remove shame because then you deaden your conscience. Shame tells you you failed, you sinned, you get convicted, you confess, you arise in new peace. I hope I'm making sense today. We've got so many excesses. And here we see God creating this wonderful woman. Someone once rightly said this, woman was taken not from man's head to rule over him. Ladies, just pause there. Uh, from his feet to be trampled upon, but from his side under his arm to be protected and closest to his heart to be loved. Isn't that true? Now, here we have the description of the two sexes. People say, well, where did sexes come from? It's the way you grow up. That's why we must let three old kids decide what gender they're, no? You have XX and XY chromosomes. XX is in the woman and XY the man, and here's the thing, you can read up on this, I've read numerous books on it, but one book called Paper Genders by a man called Walt Heyer, he had a sex change and lived like that for 14 years, then he reverted back, and now he has written and preached, He's, 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 he's both scientific and testifies of his experience, he says you can change everything on the outside and you can fool everybody, but you can't change that which is on the inside, which is your genetic makeup, and he says that's why there's so many suicides, because society will keep telling you and forcing and attacking the church and making us feel bad because we're trying to determine reality. He says, you know your reality on the inside. And you can live and try and be something, but only the external is changed, never the internal. And the percentage of people who really struggle with sexual uh, identity issues is quite small. It's only increased in the 21st century because we've promoted it and we've given room for it, now we're seeing a flood of it. Someone even suggested that it might be something in the water that is making people change their gender. No, seriously, because the frogs apparently are changing. We always want to find a reason. But you see... Yeah, God created the sexes, and I remember a pastor some time back, I won't mention his name, he was asked about homosexuality, and this is what he said. He thought he was very clever. He said, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Well, how clever are you? Of course he wouldn't, because it was a basic understanding from the Old Testament. Jesus was a Jew who went into the synagogue and read the Old Testament. It would have been a given. So to say he never said anything, it's the same as saying, Jesus said nothing about cocaine. (laughs) Don't be silly about serious matters. That's not the way to discern whether something's right or wrong. But Jesus did say this about marriage, and I want to bring your attention to it because it's so important to understand that Jesus endorsed the book of Genesis, so did Paul, and Jesus said this in Mark chapter 10. They came to him and said, Is it okay to get divorced? And he said, This, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning, Of creation, God made them male and female. Why did He reiterate it? They were asking about divorce. Why did He reiterate it? He was speaking about God's original intention. He then says, "For this reason," in other words, because God thought this up. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife; the two will become one flesh. Quoting Genesis, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In other words, if God thought this idea up, how dare you tamper with it and try and mess about with it as though it was just your social prerogative, it's extremely important that you honor this thing because it's the purpose and intention of God. Now, quick thing here before we read on. Very important to realize that he says, here, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. He doesn't say they shall leave and cleave. Because it's a man's responsibility to take a wife and to be glued to her and to care for her. And especially if he takes her away from her home and family, he's got a huge obligation. He's not to take her to dinner, then to bed, then to abandon her. He is to take her away from her parents' home, marry her, cleave to her, and be committed to her. We are so far down the road of a decadent way of living that we've just got no concept. We've got to get back to realize, men, you've got to recognize what your responsibility is. But my wife wife does this, my wife does that. We'll talk about it in a moment. We'll see why we argue in marriage in a moment. The Bible tells us everything we need to know. You want to know I've been married 50 years in two weeks' time? It's not all been bliss and glory. It's actually a whole nother story. Because Genesis tells us why. And some of you want to get married, and you think that the first couple of years, where it's just all about hanging out and eating and sex and and hanging out and eating and kissing. No, 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 no. There's much more to it than that. Haven't you noticed that everything that's pleasurable in the beginning later becomes a burden? You buy that new car and you can't stop going into the garage and no one's looking, you're sitting in it. Zzz, zzz. And three years later you can't wait to get rid of it how much will you give me you'll have to pay and yes yes take it everything is like that your house even a marriage becomes like that but there's a divine purpose through marriage now it's not that we have to endure and barney our way through it the bible teaches us everything we need to know in the book of genesis and Here's, here's how sin comes into the world, we, we read it in a moment, and I want you to remember that Jesus endorsed this book, so did Paul, confirmed it, quoted it, and so what we're reading here is truth, and we now read about how sin enters the world. Genesis chapter 3, you still with me? Gosh, help me, Jesus. Genesis 3, now the serpent, it's the word Nahash, it actually means now the hissing came, isn't that interesting? Uh, and obviously we know it's the devil. We'll read it in a moment. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, just quickly, why do we think the serpent was the devil? Because it doesn't say the devil. Is because Revelation tells us this. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent See it's referring to this called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And so here comes Satan to tempt Adam and Eve, these innocent, beautiful people in this beautiful world. And he comes to sow doubt and uh, suspicion and he counters the instructions in the Word of God. And today in the church, we have exactly the same thing. People come to me all the time and they say, Did God really say that we can't live together? Show me where. And then when you do, or pastoral shows them do, you've got the pastoral department the here, they, they're like, huh? They're almost shocked because the whole world tells you something else. But the Bible has instructions where God read, did really say. And you can try and twist it and think you're so clever and reinterpret the Greek. I've, I've, heard, I've heard everything. I've read all the books on, 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 on sexuality and how the Bible is wrong. No, no, did God really say it's at the heart of everything? Yeah. And when you want to get divorced, did God really say? You see, even the Pharisees did it. They said Moses wrote a thing where we can divorce our wives. You see, so there's an out. Jesus says, No, no, you're looking for an out. I want to tell you what the original intention was before you start looking for a gap. Very important. And he challenges the authority of God. And we notice here, Genesis 3 and verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, so she knew what he said, God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and she adds a bit, and you must not touch it, or you will die. How many of you realize here, just just look at this verse on the screen, you can know what the Bible says and still not listen. People say Christians are hypocrites. Yeah, The people at Rivers Church, I know so-and-so in your church. People often like to point, I know so-and-so in your church. And you know what they did? They went off with a woman. So they know the Bible. They sit under this kind of teaching, but then during the week. Zzzz. That's why we need to keep coming back to the scriptures, lest we start adding bits on. It took a few days before they added bits on. Not yours. And she knew. So it's not just knowing, it's obeying. And honouring God, are you with me? And so it's very important here. The devil lies to her, and he says to her, uh, "You will not certainly die." The serpent said to the woman, "For God knows that when you eat of it, eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." Satan lied to her. Jesus called him in John eight forty four that he was a liar from the beginning and a murderer from the beginning. And uh, we must know how to use the word of God when the devil comes. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? Luke chapter 4. He didn't say, do you know who I am? He didn't argue on personality. He argued on, it is written. It is written. The scriptures say. And so we must know the word if we're going to counter the, the devil. We read on Genesis 3 and verse 4. Are you with me? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, a lot of the time sin comes, it comes through the eyes, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And all I can say to that is, ouch, it must have been scratchy. (laughs) But that's what we do today when we feel shame. We try and cover it with a Louis Vuitton bag or a Gucci belt or a pair of sneakers that has the big brand on. Some people even wear their suits with the name still stitched on. You're supposed to remove it just to help you. You're supposed to unpick it. Why? Because we're trying to cover and make up for what we know we are not. We are sinners. But thank God for his love and grace. And we are sinners destined for heaven. So we are and we aren't. And we don't need to put on fig leaves. We need to put on Jesus who covers us. I want to encourage you as a Christian, enjoy God's blessing. If you're wealthy, there's some very wealthy people in our church. And I don't want to make a mistake here. If you buy branded goods and you wear all that stuff, it's fine. I'm not condemning you. I'm condemning people, not condemning people, and encouraging people who can't live like that. To stretch themselves and be in so much debt and pressure that they have to try and be something. Just be you. Just be you. Don't drive a car to impress people. They're going to criticize you anyway. How did he get that? I don't know. How come they got the money? Just be you. Don't try and sew fig leaves together. And so here we see the result of sin, and we see how sin came into the world. And and you know what sin is? I want it, I want it, I want it. Then afterwards, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Isn't it the truth? And here Adam, Adam was responsible. Do you know that Adam was told to look after his wife before Eve was even created? I mean, to, sorry, to look after the garden before Eve was even created? Adam knew what was wrong and what was right, but he let the devil chat up his wife. Some of you men, and I've said it at a men's meeting, need to be careful because you're letting the devil into your house. And he's chatting up your wife and your children while you watch. No, no. You need to tell your kids you're not allowed to watch that. Sorry, no, you can't do that. Give me your phone here. I'm going to block X, Y, Z. It's your responsibility. How can he, the Bible says? And she took the fruit and she ate it, and then she gave it to him, and he was standing there with her. But why was he standing there doing nothing? See, the Lord says here through Paul in two Corinthians eleven. You still with me? He says, but I'm afraid. That just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So easy for us to look at the benefits of sin and not realize the consequences and to be deceived as uh, Eve was. Let's keep reading here. Genesis 3 and verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they heard the sound. Was it his sandals? What was it? I don't know, anyway. (laughs) And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called out to the man, where are you? It was not like he didn't know. God wasn't going, I can't find you. No, no, he knew exactly. He's asking, where are you at? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, you put, you put here with me. Talk about being sharp. Why are you in this mess? Well, it's your fault. You gave this. She gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent. You know the old thing, eh? It's uh, the, 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 the man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent. The serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. The serpent deceived me. And we are following that same pattern in the world today. We make excuses and we blame shift. It's not my fault, it's my parents. It's not my fault, it's the government. It's not my fault, it's the history of South Africa. It's not my fault, it's the work environment. It's not my fault, it's the boss. It's not my fault, it's the union. And on and on we go, instead of taking responsibility. Sin is at the root of it. And now God comes along with righteous judgment. Genesis 3.14. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, if you look at Byzantine paintings, I didn't put any of them up here because some of them have got nude Adam and Eve, and that would not work for television. So you'll notice often that there's a lizard-looking creature, not a snake. Many pictures have got a snake, but a lot of them have got a lizard because they believe that once. The snake looked like it had legs. And so your God is cursing. He saw the snake always crawled on the ground. No, it didn't. According to scripture, it didn't It once stood upright. And he says "You now, notice, I will put enmity between you and the woman. There will always be tension between the devil and human beings and between your offspring and hers. Now watch. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who? He's saying your, your, your human race is going to have a he. And he's one day going to squash your head. But you're going to bite his heel. Speaking about the cross, Jesus was bitten in the heel, but he crushed the devil's head at the cross because the devil is the author of death. And he says here, this is what's called proto-evangelium. It's a term the early church fathers used. It's a picture of salvation right here in the book of Genesis. And he says to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children unless you use gas. (laughs) Your desire will, watch this, now this is important, don't miss this, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. You want to know why there's tension in marriage? Because a woman wants a man and needs a man and then argues with a man, nags the man blind. Tells the man stuff that is sometimes disrespectful. That's the nature of marriage. You need him, but he's a pain in the neck. But I won't divorce him. And I need him, but I don't want him. And he'll rule over you, but you'll rebel against it. So there's this constant friction, but we continue to eternity until we get to 50 years. And then we go beyond 50 years. And we keep going because we're not looking for paradise on earth. And listen to me, Christian married couples, don't live under condemnation because there's tension. Some of you have threatened each other. If I told people, <laughs> then you wouldn't be a connect group leader. They take you off staff. Stop it. He will rule you, and you'll want it, but then you'll hate it. And here's this whole dichotomy of marriage, but it is still best. It is still best. Are you with me this morning? And say, so, yeah. Uh, We see some of this stuff happening. The world is spoiled. There'll be war between the devil and mankind. There'll constantly be sin. Can I tell you that just a little while after this, Cain kills Abel. Cain did not kill Abel because of poverty. Cain killed Abel because of sin. And I'm so tired of people thinking that if we change the social conditions, we can remove crime. It'll never happen. Crime starts here. Not from money. There are societies that are poor that live righteously. Don't keep putting the two together, thinking you can solve it. If only the rich would share their money, no one would be murdered. It is a deception. There's one generation. Sin entered in, and they started killing. Are you with me? See, a lot of the beliefs we have are false beliefs. Because we've been told we can fix the world away from a biblical worldview. And we're basically good. No, man is not basically good. He's basically a sinner because he has fallen and he has entered into sin. Let's quickly read because I've got to get done here. Is this helping you? How many be helped today? And that's a lot, but it's very important. I know if we ran a Bible study on a Wednesday, you wouldn't be able to all come. So this is the way to do it. Genesis 3 and verse 17. Now notice this, men. To Adam, he said, because you listen to your wife. Men, you know why you got problems? Because you listened to your wife. And you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you. You must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. In other words, you won't always find a way to win. There will be times when, when you work hard and then it produces something. Don't complain. Don't blame the devil. It's part of the curse. He says... By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, or for Adam and his wife, sorry, and clothed them. Now notice here. This is the first time blood is shed in the Bible, and it's right at the beginning. And God does not just condemn them and drive them out of the garden. He immediately points to a savior coming and crushing the devil's head, and then he covers their sin with blood. We believe this was sheep skin. And just, just by the way, God was the first person to work in leather. So some of you have got master's degrees and stuff. I ran a leather business for eight years, worked with leather. Me and God, we have the same spirit. Now, <laughs> so people say, you're just a tradesman. <laughs> God was the first tradesman. But here's the thing. We believe it was sheep. Why do we believe it was sheep? Because Abel and Cain, Cain kept uh, uh, growing vegetables. Well, what did Abel do? Abel was a keeper of flocks. Why And why did, we'll read, it, we'll read it next week. Why did Abel bring sheep as an offering? It's because God set the pattern. Blood, a life for sin was the pattern. And Christ would be the great lamb of God eventually. And we see all that here. We don't have time to unpack it. But here God shows himself as the God of mercy and sacrifice, the God of covering our sins. The sheep covered their sins until Jesus came and then our sins are moved permanently. And so here we, we, we read about this. A uh, very interesting thing, quickly, as I come to a close, and I, I, I don't want to leave anything out because it's so important. A man called Arch, Archbishop James Usher, he wrote a book in the 1500s called Annals of the World. A brilliant, brilliant theologian and very well respected for his writings. He said that this killing of this animal took place on the 10th day of creation. He said, Well, how do you know it was 10 days later? Because on the seventh day they rested, and then on the eighth day they got, you know, they got involved, and then by the, tenth day, uh, uh, by the ninth day they had sinned. By the tenth day, he said, Well, where do you get the tenth day? Because in the Bible, the tenth day of the first month is the day of atonement in the Old Testament when the Jews were told to offer up lambs. It was recorded from the beginning of time, and they continued to do it until Jesus came. And when we look at the cross, we'll cover that stuff at Easter. And so "Yeah, the Lord covers them, and uh, he covers them with, with blood because, you know, we, we, can, we can try and cover ourselves with good works, but the Bible says in Isaiah 64, it's as filthy rags. And let's read the last verse here, Genesis 3 and verse 22. Are you still good? And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken, and he drove the man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Disobedience brought uh, banishment, disobedience brought consequences. And here they suffer for it, but God provides salvation for them. Now, as we wrap up here today, let me make this comment. Have you noticed how all of us are longing to get back to the garden? If you look at people when they buy houses, why do they spend such a lot of time on the garden? Because we like a nice surrounding. We like a peaceful home with everything in order, with the family gathered around eating, with laughter and fun. You know why? We were destined to live in a garden and we're longing to get back to the garden. When I was... um, I'll close with this. When I was uh, uh, unsaved and listening to rock music, and you know, some of you are too old to remember, but the Woodstock Pop Festival was around. A group called Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Reeves, and Taylor were around, and they wrote some phenomenal music. They wrote a song called Woodstock. And in the song, they sing this. It's quite profound. I don't have time to read the whole song. But they sing, they sing this. Well, I came upon a child of God. He was walking along the road. That's some oak with long hair smoking a joint. And I asked him, tell me, where are you going? This he told me. He said, I'm going down to Yazgur's farm, going to join in a rock and roll band. Got to get back to the land and set my soul free. But then they sing the chorus. We are stardust. We are golden. We are billion-year-old carbon. How weird is that? And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. You can't get back to the garden if you're billion-year-old carbon. And you can't get back to the garden with rock and roll music the only way you get back to the garden is through Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is the only covering for our sins we hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message